0: Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas today. You're going to love this topic because we're in the world of market research. And on the podcast, I have not covered Market research ever since since launching the Contender Cast. So I'm so excited today to have Ann Beal on. And it is so awesome having you on the podcast.
1: It's awesome being here.
0: Seriously, like I haven't covered this topic and it's so important. And I, I'm so glad you reached out. Um, for those who don't know Ann, a quick search and you'll find tons of content on Ann. She's the CEO of Beal Research, but she's really kind of made her career in the market research space and written tons of great content on it. We're going to dive into her most recent book today. But then we're also going to do a little bit of rewinding the clock to a couple of other books that she's written. And I think you guys are going to find those super interesting. So let's do this and talk about first how you got into this space and then how you got into writing about it.
1: Okay, well, I got into market research because I basically got a PhD in social psychology from Yale and I did not want to be an academic.
0: Wow. And that was
1: very, very sad for my (laughs) academic parents and grandparents who said I was throwing my life away.
0: Oh, no. But I
1: did, I know, I know, (laughs) but I did it anyway. (laughs) And I decided to, uh, yeah, I decided to use my psychological training and my research skills to work on real-world problems. So that's how I started out market research. I went to a small company in Philadelphia and eventually ended up heading up uh, the Consumer Insights Function at the Boston Consulting Group uh-huh. for several years in Chicago. Yep,
0: yeah, great great firm, Boston Consulting Group, and, and great space to really dive into insights and analytics, right? I mean, that's it. actually a space that I've leveraged in my background in consumer goods. Using market research was a really big part of of my career and I, I one of the things we're going to talk about today is just the importance of it and how small businesses can even use the market research so Absolutely. yeah so your most recent book strategic market research a guide to conducting research that drives businesses talk about that and some of the backstory on that book
1: sure so I actually started my business field research 16 years ago and I started it out of my bedroom. Uh, it was uh, the armoire of my bedroom. You, uh, folded <laughs> that was it the out, home office. A desk. <laughs> yeah, that was the home office. The first employee was the cat. Oh, and, uh, nice. She did, yeah, she did not work out at all. No, had to fire her like week two, you know. <laughs> uh, but I've added uh, 13 human beings along the way. Uh, but as you know, in 2008, uh, things got a little bit rough. Absolutely. And my phone was not ringing. And the people I was contacting said, uh, yeah, I'm not buying market research yet for a while uh, because things were pretty rough economically. So I thought, you know, how can I use this time? And I decided to write this book, uh, Strategic Market Research. And that was um, back then. And and the book has had several incarnations. uh, Absolutely. Third edition. Yeah. So it's been updated. It's been, we've, as we've evolved as a company um, we have changed how we do things, and you know we have added uh, areas of expertise, and we've become even more involved in the area of emotions, which um, I wanted to chat with you about. Um, but but uh, yeah, this book has just come out actually in January, and it is um, it's had a long history. But that's the the backstory for how the book came into being. It's um, it's been a great book. It's actually used in a lot of colleges, so. Um,
0: Yep. yeah well actually, so okay so here's a question I, I hadn't actually planned to ask you this but now that I'm sitting here thinking about it so why update a book with a new edition versus a net new book Talk about just the theory on 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 that because I think you know all of us have seen revised editions of books before but I guess I was just thinking why not create a whole new book versus revising one
1: Sure well the core principles are the same so we have a strategic question approach that we use in market research and we are always all about trying to answer the strategic question that will drive the business forward. And so that core, you know, approach is the same, you know, generating hypotheses and testing them, that will remain the same. So the basic principles are largely the same, but as we become, you know, you know, better in different areas. We're using new methodologies we didn't use before. We've you know, really invested in research on research and research on emotions. We've added those things into the book, and they just make for a stronger book. So that's the reason why we didn't do a new book altogether, because we just felt the core of what we do is really the same. It's just where we're adding kind of bells and whistles.
0: No question. So let's talk about, let's dive into the book. And, and one of the things you cover are a number of different steps kind of in your processor. you think about your strategic principles and whatnot. Talk about some of those and then how you've, you've shaped that in this book.
1: Yeah. So the, you know, oftentimes people will in market research, will get a phone call from a, a client or a potential client. And they'll say, you know, I need to do, you know, three focus groups and, you know, five in-depth interviews, and I need to do a survey of 200 people. Can you give me a quote? And we always say, hey, you know, let's back up. What are you trying to <laughs> What's the problem here? you're
0: trying to solve? Is, yeah.
1: yeah, what's the problem you're trying to solve? You know, what's the question that you're trying to, to address? And so we, t- we try and back up and say, what's the question? Now, sometimes the client's question isn't really the question they need to answer. And that's what we do is we try and figure out what is the right question to be answering, we also at that point ask them for a hypothesis. So what do they think the answer might be and why? Why do they think for example if the issue is that their product is not selling as well as they expected or their advertising campaign you know isn't really hitting it out of the park. We'll ask them, okay, the question we want to answer is obviously, you know, why is this occurring? But what are your hypotheses? Do you think it's, you know, the product is failing on some dimensions that are important Is it missing certain things? Is your advertising campaign or marketing campaign not speaking to the right target? What is it that you think is going on? Because at that point, when you start to figure out what the real question is you're trying to answer and what hypotheses you have, then you can go ahead and design the right study using the right methodologies.
0: Got it. Now, that makes sense. Well, and then after answering those questions, you then talk about determining the right research techniques to help answer those questions. So when you talk about different techniques, what are some of those techniques in the market research world?
1: So, the first question will be, do we want to do qualitative or quantitative research? So, qualitative research is um, something that's a little bit more exploratory. It could be, you know, focus groups or an in-depth interview or a shop-along or a drive-along or any number of sort of things where it's sort of a more exploratory, more discussion-based type of method. Quantitative is obviously a survey. You're going to be collecting data. And so, the first question is really run around precision. So, we do a fair amount of work in um, with big... Uh, consulting firms and private equity companies, and they want to acquire or potentially acquire a company or make an investment in them, and they want to do market research on that. Sure. They don't want me to go talk to twenty people and give them an answer. They want numbers.
0: You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> they, the they, they don't want
1: to make a billion dollar decision based on you know twenty interviews. You know, sure. they need to know like thirty-seven percent of the market. we're going here. Right. Um, but in other situations, you know, with for example, um, you know, we have clients who say, you know something's not working for us, you know, with our product and we don't know what it is, well, that's a very exploratory conversation that we would be having. Maybe we'd go shopping with them to understand what's happening at retail or something. So, it's more of a, we're trying to figure out what's happening there and that's a a different type. So, that's the first thing is we figure out qualitative versus quantitative research and then we figure out what's the degree of depth we need. Do we really want to understand each and every person individually or do we want to understand what different scenarios people would be reacting well or poorly to? Are we going to test something? So these would really determine what we might do. Are these people that we're looking for are geographically diverse or are they in one area? Could we bring them together and do a focus group? So lots of different things we kind of think through. To figure
0: it out. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. So, after that, I, I, when I was again researching your process here, I thought this next one was super interesting. So, I get the quantitative and, and depth and whatnot you were just talking about. Then, I thought it was really fascinating that you talk about reading the nonverbal communications of your research respondents and talk about the importance of that and how it links to emotion.
1: So, you know, we believe that people don't think their way through the marketplace. We (laughs) believe they feel their way through it. Sure. (laughs) And, you know, we can see this in lots of different ways. And oftentimes, sometimes, you know, market research is very rational uh, in that people are are very quick to tell you all the things that matter to them. And when they make a purchase decision, um, you know, a long time ago, we did a study on shampoo and we asked all the women to tell us what was important for them and, and so they, oh, well, it has to, you know, be good to my hair and it has to have a conditioner and it has to, you smell know, good. not be too uh, <laughs> difficult to, you know, and I could use it every day. You know, they go through all these things, you know, and then you stick a bunch of shampoos in front of them and the first thing they do is they take the, the top off and smell it. Smell it, exactly. Well, you know, that doesn't, you didn't talk about that, you no, know. that's right. <laughs> you told me all so the rational true. things.
0: So true. And in
1: fact, you, what's really driving your usage of this product is probably the scent. And the way it makes your hair smell, um, and and nonverbal communication—that's obviously an extreme example—but we've had a lot of instances where um, we've had we actually code nonverbal behavior with people at the retail, and we've been able to see that people have a nonverbal reaction to packaging. Uh, they have nonverbal reactions to brands, and they cause it causes them to either engage or disengage with categories and with brands. And a lot of times they don't even know why, and we have to kind of go back and say, "Hey, let's take a look at this pack here. What kind of associations do you have to it?" And they tell us all kinds of stuff, and we're no wonder they're having a negative reaction to it. But you know, did that manufacturer understand that when they designed that packaging? Probably not.
0: Sure. So, no, and I love this. This is and, uh, so. What I love about your book is it's a thoughtful way to think about you know really researching markets slash consumer slash thinking about. Products, right? And a lot of our listeners are small business, s- startup, growing businesses in the space or around the space in consumer goods and retail, and or or have similar type services. So, how do you think about your model here with those types of companies uh, versus the ones like the Coca Colas and the Levi's and the, the PepsiCo's and the Anhydra Bushes of the world that have like mega budgets? How do you think about your model for like a small business?
1: So I think small businesses often feel they don't have enough money to do market research and they often are, you know, they are cash strapped a lot of times. And so they do a lot of trial and error and those trials and errors can add up in cost. Right.
0: Um, If you'd only done a little research up front, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it might go a long way. Um, You know, for those who don't have the money to go do, you know, the formal market research, there's definitely a lot of value in trying your idea out with lots of different people to see what their response is and really getting them to tell you, was this something that you would buy? Is this something that you would recommend? Why or why not? Getting as much, you know, actual market reaction to, I mean, I've known small businesses to literally, you know, go out and pull people on the streets, you know, because they want to get a reaction to their ideas because, you know, it's a big deal to start a business. And as you know, many businesses fail within the first year and most of them fail within the first five. So really understanding if you have a market and understanding what that market wants is is really, really important. And um, I'd say that if You know, do some market research, even if it's a one or, you know, maybe even get one focus group together, but just do something where you get some outside perspective on your idea. Absolutely. um, It could save you a lot of money.
0: No question. I totally agree. Yeah. And that's something that I think a a lot of small businesses, like you said, they jump right to product design or package design and, and almost skip over either the understanding what the consumer or shopper wants or the some of the additional thinking that could go into making an even better product. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So I, I love this. And so, uh, when you're thinking about like your typical target audience, like for you, what does that look like? Who's the typical reader of this book or, or someone that would find true value out of, out of spending the time with it?
1: Um, you know, this book seems to get used by a lot of different people. It seems to get used, like I said, in a lot of colleges. Uh, it's considered a very good... Um, overview of the industry. It's very um, straightforward. It's very clear. Um, it's used by a lot of people who are just beginning their careers in market research or sort of in the early years of market research. I know a lot of managers will buy it um, for people who are, you know maybe coming into market research who don't have a lot of experience in it. Um, but it's um, I, yeah, I think it's used by a wide variety of people um, who are who just want a good overview of how to do it and how to think about it. A lot of people say to me, oh, I, I thought I knew how to do market research because I wrote a survey once, but I realized <laughs> right. I wasn't thinking about. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: wrote a survey. <laughs> I realized I, I wasn't thinking
1: about you know what question I was going to answer. As I always like to say, the big mistakes that market researchers make is that they pretty much say to the client, so what do you want to know? And the client says, I want to know ten things or twenty things, and you know that then their discussion guide or their survey, you know, becomes you know 30, 40, 50 pages of long. Of course, of
0: course, and
1: we all know how. Boring market research can be when you're trying to sort of address a million questions at once, you know, figure totally. out what the real question yeah. is that will help that business and then figure out how to, how to work it from there. And I think that's really where the book, I think, has a lot, you know, to really offer is to really think through the questions that you're answering, because to me, a lot of good market research is different from bad market research, not in the methods or in the people who do it, but in the, the question it's trying to address.
0: Right. Of course. Well, and I, I, yeah, no question about that. And um, I, I have to, s- I say that when I was doing my homework on you, I loved reading that you know about some of your other books. And I have to change the topic a bit here, although I, I know that it's on the same topic, <laughs> but as I was reading your, you know, the books you've written, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Um, you'd written one on body language, which I think is very cool. And obviously ties to kind of the IO psychology space. And then I was like, you know, I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's written a book on cats, community cats, a journey into the world of feral cats, and then heartfelt yeah. connections, how animals and people help one another. I have to say, I'm curious. I, I So tell me about these two books. I love this. So those are
1: those are favorite books of mine. Um, they are essentially on the same topic. Actually, they're on the topic of how um, animals and people help one another. The first book is Community Cats, and that actually comes from a program in Chicago called the Cats at Work Program, which is a program that takes feral cats, which are cats that cannot be brought indoors because they're basically wild. It traps them, neuters them, vaccinates them, and then locates them in an area where there is a rat population. And I'll tell you what, feral cats are really good at getting rid of rats. (laughs) So this was... I had no idea. Yeah, these cats actually do work for a living, unlike my cat, who did not. Right? Your first business partner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, I got really interested in this program because, um, not surprisingly, I live in Chicago and I live in an area where there was rats, which there are rats everywhere. Um, and so, I got really interested because I had tried everything on how to get rid of the rat problem and finally found this program. So, I became a caretaker for these cats. And, you know, the way it works is you feed them and you make sure they have shelter and you, you make sure... If they, you know, they get sick, you have to trap them and take them to the vet. But basically they live outdoors and you take care of them. Wow. But they get rid of the rats. So I got totally interested in this because I thought, what an amazing green solution to a very pesky problem. As I found the cats really endearing. And then I started doing research on all of these groups that are all across the country. Uh, and so I started interviewing people about their stories about these community cats. Um learned a lot about how this movement is actually a worldwide movement. And it's a way, by the way, to contain the feral cat population. The idea is actually to reduce the cat population, not increase it. Wow.
0: That's and it's really also cool. a
1: way of, yeah, taking care of um you know a rodent problem which we all have. So I also did research on how Americans feel about these programs when they're actually informed about these um, TNVR programs, and you know would they support them in their communities and things like that. And found that the majority of Americans had no idea these programs exist, but right. they would be very supportive had of them. Have no idea. And they really like them. Right. Yeah, and they like them because it's, it's good for the cats and it's good for the communities. Um, and so this book is actually, as a book, has been used to actually advocate for TNVR programs so around the cool. country. I've,
0: so cool. I've been
1: told that people use it to educate their city officials. And I've actually wow. testified down at the Springfield um, House uh, in the government there in our our uh, state government, on behalf of them, because I'm a "quote unquote" expert on them. So that's wow. the that's the story behind that book.
0: <laughs> that is so fascinating.
1: So, yeah, that's an interesting thing, and and uh, that actually led me to the Heartfelt Connections book, which is I was really interested. Well, if cats can do that, um, what other animals are helping people, and what other connections are there between animals and humans? And I got really interested in all these other connections. So I ended up traveling all over the country and I interviewed and went and saw a therapy llama. I know. Wow. You know therapy llama. I didn't. No, no, oh, no. <laughs> very, very intelligent. I went, I spent the weekend in Bellingham, Washington Wow. at this, uh, llama farm where she takes these llamas to, uh, autism respite camps oh, and, wow. That's uh, so old, cool. uh, assisted living yeah. homes and, yeah, an incredibly intelligent animal who loved loved interacting with people and was and actually got unhappy when they had to leave. Oh, the that's uh, the so llama funny. W- wanted to stay, wow. um, but very interesting. And um, I saw um, connections between sheep and people. I saw um, you know goats and and their caretakers. I saw a therapy pig uh, wow. in Dallas. Yeah, and this is a pig that's extremely smart it knew words it could go oh and do tricks very intellectual animal and um so i saw a lot of different animals and besides dogs and cats of course we saw this therapy right. dogs going dogs right. um, intensive care <laughs> units and things like that but sure. I thought it was really interesting and i came up with this book and then we did research on the same topic which was how does the average dog or cat in your household make a difference in your life and we found that um majority of americans felt that their pet actually makes them feel good, makes them feel better about the world that they live in, makes them feel needed and is a companion to them.
0: Sure. I can and see so, that. Um, I got three dogs. Yeah. I could write a book yeah, about so you know. <laughs> the animal and people. <laughs> they help one another out in our house.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's it's great. Pretty
1: amazing, the connections that we form with animals. And so, I went... I've seen Horses in Action. It's doing hypotherapy, and it's just a its a kind of magical thing, actually.
0: So. Wow. Well, um, uh, this has just been awesome. Um, and where can our listeners find you and uh, your company and then also find your books?
1: So they can find my company at uh, That's www.beallrt.com. Um, they can find my books on Amazon under the name Ann Beal. And that's B-E-A-L-L. And um, yeah, you can find me online pretty easily.
0: Yeah, I I thought this has been so great. And I'm so glad you took time to come on the podcast. I love the content. It's so important uh, for those building businesses or launching anything to, to spend the time up front to do some of the things that you're best at. And so I just really appreciate you coming on and talking about it.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah,
0: and this has been great. Thanks for being on the podcast. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.